It's great to be together this morning. This has been a weekend of celebration. Um, it started out on Friday afternoon. A bunch of us gathered down at the Rio Grande um, with the backdrop of the beautiful Sandia Mountains with the snow on them and with the sun setting. It was incredible, but none of that compared in any way with what was going on in the water because Crease and Levi Westfall walked down in the water and Levi was baptized in the water. And he very quickly got out of the water. So sometimes sins get washed away. And sometimes they're just like frozen in place. But uh, it, was, it was really an exciting, really cool thing. A bunch of you were there, and thank you for that. And then Saturday morning, a bunch, and when I say a bunch, I mean a bunch of us showed up at the courthouse um, for this to happen. Um, the uh, adoption was finalized Saturday morning, and now Angel, Tiara, and Kyle are Westfalls. Uh, and that's pretty exciting. So, so we, we overwhelmed the courthouse down there. They didn't know what to do with us. They kept moving us, like go downstairs, upstairs, here, there, because there were so many of us. They think there were about 80 of us that packed into that courtroom. Uh, made a big impression on the people there, but it was just a demonstration of our love for you guys. So. Uh, we love you guys, and we're really excited about what happened this weekend. So thanks for letting us share with you guys in that. Uh, it was a wonderful time. So we're continuing uh, through our sprint to the finish. We're all, not all of us, but many of us are reading through the New Testament together, and each week I've been preaching out of something to do with the reading that we did that week. And this week we spent most of our time reading in the book of Romans so not surprisingly, today's lesson is going to come from Romans, specifically the 6th and 7th chapters of Romans. So if you want to turn there, this would be a good time to do that. Kind of like John, Romans is a book that I have preached through fairly recently. And uh, like John, I also looked back at Romans, that series, to see how many sermons I preached through Romans. Anybody want to take a guess how many that was? 7,000? Did I hear somebody say? It's like... 30, 30 different lessons from the book of Romans. And even doing 30 lessons, I still left a lot of fertile soil unplowed in Romans. So this morning we're going to plow a little bit of that soil together as we talk about secrets. We're going to talk about secrets. You know, one of the most fascinating themes in literature and in movies is the notion of somebody adopting a new identity. And I think in particular, we seem to be fascinated by that idea that someone could fake their own death and then take up and try to maintain a brand new identity. And if you've watched very many of those shows, if you've seen very many of those movies, you know that one of the very important parts of those stories is a montage of scenes. A montage of scenes that show us the great pains that the protagonist has taken to try to keep from being found out. They might dye their hair. They might undergo plastic surgery. They might get glasses when they didn't have glasses before. They might gain weight or lose weight. They might adopt a new accent. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes so the new won't be recognized as the old. And we see in those movies and shows and the books that we read that it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy to disguise your true identity and to convincingly put forth a new identity. 
And that tension that we feel when we watch those movies comes from waiting to see just how the plans are going to unravel. How their true identity is going to be found out. And we know the plans always unravel, don't they? The true identity is always found out. You see, it turns out that simply faking your death isn't enough to leave your old identity behind. And why should that matter to us? Well, it should matter to us because being a Christian is all about leaving our old identities behind and then living as new people with new identities. But as Paul is going to point out for us, it isn't enough for us as Christians to just fake the death of our old identity. It's not enough to fake the death in order to live a new life. No, we actually have to die. So listen to Paul as he talks about our death. Romans chapter 6, I'll start reading in verse 3. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Now we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. It strikes me this is kind of like opening up the Sunday paper and reading your own obituary, right? It's something like this. In the presence of his loved ones, old self Walter Lane was crucified. He died to sin. He was buried. He's now united with Jesus and he is living a new life. And if you've been baptized, that's your story. Your story has joined together with Jesus' story. Crucified, dead, buried, united, and now brand new. And that was also Paul's story. His story had joined with Jesus' story. Crucified, dead, buried, United and now brand new. That's a fairly straightforward story, isn't it? The story of the old identity left for dead. The story of a new identity that's free to live a new life. But for those of us who are trying to live the new life, we know that there's a problem with that seemingly straightforward story, don't we? And the problem goes something like this. Paul tells the rest of the story as he confesses in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And then in verse 21, he says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, that's the problem. That's the struggle. It was Paul's struggle. It's the Roman Christian's struggle. And it's also our struggle. The struggle can be captured like this in the form of a question. See, if we have been buried in order to live a new life, and if we have been united with Jesus in his death, And if our old self has been crucified, and if we died to sin, if our obituary is to to be believed, then why do we continue to do the things that we hate to do? If our obituary is to be believed, then why do we continue to do the evil we don't want to do? Why is it so hard to leave our old identity behind? Well, here's the answer. It's hard to leave our old identity behind because it turns out that dying is a whole lot harder than you might think. Dying is a whole lot harder than you might think. It's hard to leave our identities behind because it's hard to actually die to our old self. Which is why from the very beginning of the church, Christians have tended to fake their own deaths. That's what Paul's talking about, right? Our tendency to fake our own deaths. He's talking about our tendency to work really hard to make other people believe that our old sinful self has been buried. That it's been done away with, that it no longer exists. But when in actuality its heart is still beating, we have a tendency to fake our own deaths. And how do we go about doing that? What links will we go to in order to hide the fact that the old me is still alive and well? What's the Christian equivalent of dyeing your hair or plastic surgery or adopting a new accent? What's the Christian equivalent of doing whatever it takes so the old self won't be recognized as still being alive? Well, I think there are two tried and true methods that Christians tend to fall back on when trying to hide the fact that the old us is still alive, is still well. And the first method is to try and substitute rule-following for actually dying. That was the Pharisee way, right? To try and disguise the darkness of your heart by doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. Magicians call this misdirection. You see, if I can get you to focus on what my right hand is doing, maybe you won't notice what the left hand is actually doing. If I can get you to focus on the fact that I walk into the church doors every Sunday with a check written out, ready to put into the collection. 
Maybe you won't notice that I walk out of the church doors every Sunday to my life of greed and selfishness. If I can get you to focus on the Bible I carry with me wherever I go, maybe you won't notice the fact that I also carry hate and anger with me wherever I go. That's the first way that we tend to fake our own deaths. We substitute rule following for actually dying. And the second way we fake our own deaths is by disguising the vitality of our old selves. We work really hard at keeping our old selves hidden from view. We keep the doors locked. We keep the blinds drawn. We keep the lights off. If somebody rings the doorbell, we don't answer the door. We don't let people in. Because if we know if we let them in, they'll see that our old self is still alive. And we don't want people to see that our old self is alive and well. Because we're around Christians who read our obituary. And they know that our old self is supposed to be dead. So what do we do? What do Christians do? Well, we keep secrets. We live secret lives. We put up fronts. We pretend. We do all of that because we don't want others to see how very alive our old selves really are. We have a lot of conversations that go like this. How are you? Fine. Is everything okay? Yep, it's great. Anything you need to talk about? Nope. Move along. Nothing to see here. It's all under control. That sound familiar? That's what we do, isn't it? We work really hard to disguise just how alive and how active our old selves really are. Which is why I think it's kind of startling for us to see Paul's transparency in chapter 7. What's Paul doing here? Well, Paul's opening his doors. He's pulling back his blinds. He's turning on the lights. And he's inviting us to take a look at what's going on in his house. And it turns out that in Paul's house, old self Paul is still alive. Still active. I do not understand what I do. Instead of doing what I want to do, I end up doing what I hate to do. Oh, what a wretched man I am. So why does Paul do that? Why is Paul so transparent? Why is Paul so honest? Why is he he so open about his struggles and about his weaknesses? Well, I think Paul has at least two motives For one thing, he reveals his struggles and he reveals his weaknesses to demonstrate to all of us just how powerful his God is. That's one of Paul's consistent themes, right? We know that he wants everybody to know that God delights in demonstrating his power in our weaknesses. So Paul wants us to know that it is God's power. It's not his power. It's not Paul's power that is at work. 
It's not Paul's power that is accomplishing great things in the church. It's not Paul's power that is evangelizing the Gentile world. It's God's power. And secondly, I believe that Paul reveals his struggles and his weaknesses so there can be no doubt that struggles and weaknesses are common to all Christians. Common to all Christians. We all struggle. You see, it turns out that our baptism wasn't a drowning. They didn't hold Levi down long enough to literally kill his old self. It's not a a drowning. No, it turns out that we have to die every day. We have to die to self in every way. It's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing struggle. And it's common to all of us. That's why Paul opens his door. Why he pulls back his blinds. That's why he turns on the lights and invites us to take a look at what's going on in his house. You see, we need to see that even people like Paul struggle. Even people like Paul have weaknesses. So how comfortable are you with that? How comfortable are you with being invited to take a look at what's going on in someone else's life? Being invited to see that their old life still has a beating heart. How comfortable are you with that? And how comfortable are you with inviting others to take a look at what's going on in your life? Inviting your brothers and sisters to see that the report of the death of your old self was something that was greatly exaggerated. See, it turns out that a lot of us are very uncomfortable with transparency. Very uncomfortable with confession. We're very uncomfortable with other people being transparent and confessional. And we're certainly very uncomfortable with being transparent And confessional ourselves. It's interesting, but it turns out that most of us really don't like hearing people like Paul. We don't like hearing our church leaders and our teachers confess that they have weaknesses, that they have struggles. We aren't always comfortable hearing the preacher confess to his struggles with pride and having a judgmental heart. We aren't always comfortable hearing an elder confess to his struggles with alcohol. We aren't always comfortable hearing a Bible class teacher confess to his struggles with pornography. We're not comfortable with that. And why is that? Well, I think we're not comfortable hearing those things because of fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that other people will hear that our leaders struggle and that will cause them to give up hope. We're afraid that their thought process will go something like this. Well, if a super Christian like Paul can't do it, or if a super Christian like the preacher or elder or Bible class teacher, if a super Christian can't kill off his old self, then what hope is there for me? So many of us would just rather our leaders keep their secrets to themselves. Just fake their deaths and assume a super Christian identity and then just move on. 
Because if they'll move on and pretend like they have it all together, then we can move on and pretend like we have it all under control. And how about the rest of us? Why are we uncomfortable confessing our own weaknesses? I'll pull up a picture. I think this picture holds a clue. I hope you appreciate that picture. I literally spent minutes putting that together. I know, everybody's looking at the hair like that's, you know, wow, that's, that's amazing. So I'm going through something right now with my grandkids I know many of you can relate with. I have two grandsons, and I'm experiencing something I experienced with my own kids years ago. See, with my grandsons, I am Superman. I could do no wrong. I'm faster than a speeding bullet, or at least faster than a four-year-old, which is about the same. (laughs) I can leap tall buildings in a single bound, or I can leap Legos in a single bound. But in their eyes, I am Superman. And I got to tell you, I love being Superman. And I don't at all look forward to the day when my grandsons discover the truth discover the truth that I am completely lacking in any superpowers. That's the way we are, right? We like being super. And we're uncomfortable being transparent. We're uncomfortable being confessional. We're uncomfortable opening our doors and pulling back the blinds and turning on the lights and inviting others to look inside at what's really going on. We're uncomfortable with that because we don't want to give up our facade of strength. We like being seen as Superman. We like having the appearance of having it all together, of not having any struggles, of there not being any weaknesses. We also don't like confessing our weaknesses to others. Especially confessing our weaknesses to our children or to other people who look up to us. We don't like being transparent to them. Because we're afraid of losing our credibility. We're afraid of losing others' confidence in us. We don't want to appear like what we are. We don't want to appear weak. And we don't like to be transparent with others because when we're transparent with others, we have to acknowledge to ourselves what we're confessing to others. When I confess to you that I'm not Superman, I have to acknowledge to myself that I'm not Superman. And when I confess to you that I'm not a super Christian, I have to acknowledge to myself that I'm not a super Christian. And those acknowledgments are painful. But I want you to know those acknowledgments are also powerful. It turns out that there is tremendous power in confessing our weaknesses. See, it turns out the confession is exactly what we need to do. We need to do that for ourselves. But maybe more importantly, confession is exactly what our Christian brothers and sisters need to hear. It's what they need us to do. See, here's the truth about transparency. 
when Paul opens up his door and pulls back his shades and turns on his lights and invites us to see his struggles, powerful things happen. See, we look inside Paul's house and we say, well, if Paul has struggles, then of course so do I. And if Paul needs a rescuer, then of course so do I. And if Paul can't do it on his own, then of course neither can I. And if Paul must depend on God's grace and mercy, then of course so must I. There's power in transparency. There's power in confession. See, instead of taking away hope, it actually gives hope. If Walter struggles, then of course so do I. If dad needs a rescuer, then of course so do I. If the elders can't do it on their own, of course neither can I. If all of my brothers and sisters must depend on God's grace and mercy, then of course so must I. So today I want to encourage you to open your doors, to pull back your blinds, to turn on your lights, and invite your brothers and sisters, invite your brothers and sisters to see that just like them and just like Paul, you can't do it on your own. You aren't that strong. I want to end by giving you three not-so-secret truths that help explain why it's good for us to live together with no secrets. Truth number one, and I hope this isn't going to be a shock to any of you that are here, but truth number one is that there is no Superman. I know, I heard a couple of gas, I'm sorry. But there is no Superman. So we need to all acknowledge that none of us have superpowers. Truth number two, there are also no super Christians. Your preacher isn't a super Christian. Your elders aren't super Christians. Your Bible class teachers aren't super Christians. Not even Paul. Even Paul wasn't a super Christian. None of us have it all figured out. None of us are without struggles. None of us are without weaknesses. There are no super Christians. Which leads us to truth number three. Truth number three. Fortunately, we worship and we serve a peerless, a preeminent, a surpassing, a supreme God. And he is our superpower. It is from God that our strength comes. See, it turns out that we do all have a big S on our chest. But the S on our chest doesn't stand for super. Our S stands for sinner. And that would be depressing and that would leave us without hope, but that's not where we stand. See, because of what our loving God has done for us through Jesus Christ, our S ultimately stands for saved. 
We're not supermen. We're not superwomen, but we're saved men and saved women. That's who we are. That's who God has declared us to be. That's who God has made us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we are weak, but you are strong. And Father, help us to allow others in so that they can learn the truth about us, Father. That we rely on you for our strength. Father, help us to open our doors, draw back the blinds, turn on our lights, invite others in so that we can be a group of people with no secrets, Father, just saved sinners who are looking forward to the day that we will be with you in heaven. Father, give us that strength. Give us that transparency. Give us that love for each other. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let's end with a challenge. The challenge this week is a simple one to say and a harder one to do. But I encourage you this week to take off your cape and simply trust in God's power. Let's stand and sing.